This is not a monetized recording, and there is no income or payment being generated. This is, however, a one-time gift to a former student who is in the United States Navy and has just begun his first deployment for Terra Incognita, parts unknown. So Angel, here's a quote. A ship at harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. And before I read Rick Reardon's The Sea of Monsters, number two in the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series from 2006, let me just add one more quote, because for you, Angel, the adventure begins. So here we go. Chapter one. My best friend shops for a wedding dress. My nightmare started like this. I was standing on a deserted street in some little beach town. It was the middle of the night. A storm was blowing. Wind and rain ripped at the palm trees along the sidewalk. Pink and yellow stucco buildings lined the streets. Their windows boarded up. A block away, past the line of hibiscus bushes, the ocean churned. Florida, I thought. Though I wasn't sure how I knew that, I'd never been to Florida. Then I heard hooves clattering against the pavement. I turned and saw my friend Grover running for his life. Yeah, I said hooves. Grover is a satyr. From the waist up, he looks like a typical gangly teenager with a peach fuzz goatee and a bad case of acne. He walks with a strange limp, but unless you happen to catch him without his pants on, which I don't recommend, you'd never know there was anything unhuman about him. Baggy jeans and fake feet hide the fact that he's got furry hindquarters and hooves. Grover had been my best friend in sixth grade. He'd gone on this adventure with me and a girl named Annabeth to save the world, but I hadn't seen him since last July when he set off alone on a dangerous quest, a quest no satyr had ever returned from. Well, anyway, in my dream, Grover was hauling goat tail, holding his human shoes in his hands the way he does when he needs to move fast. He clopped past the little tourist shops and surfboard rental places. The wind bent the palm trees almost to the ground. Grover was terrified of something behind him. He must have just come from the beach, Wet sand was caked in his fur. He'd escaped from somewhere. He was trying to get away from something. A bone-rattling growl cut through the storm. Behind Grover, at the far end of the block, a shadowy figure loomed. It swatted aside a street lamp, which burst in a shower of sparks. Grover stumbled, whimpering in fear. He muttered to himself, Have to get away. Have to get them. Have to warn them. I couldn't see what was chasing him, but I could hear it muttering and cursing. The ground shook as it got closer. Grover dashed around a street corner and faltered. He'd run into a dead-end courtyard full of shops. No time to back up. The nearest door had been blown open by the storm. The sign above the darkened display window read, St. Augustine Bridal Bouquet. I'm sorry, Bridal Boutique. Grover dashed inside. He dove behind a rack of wedding dresses. The monster's shadow passed in front of the shop. I could smell the thing, a sickening combination of wet sheep wool and rotten meat and that weird sour body odor only monsters have, like a skunk that's been living off Mexican food. Grover trembled behind the wedding dresses. The monster's shadow passed on. Silence, except for the rain. Grover took a deep breath, 
maybe the thing was gone. Then lightning flashed. The entire front of the store exploded and the monstrous voice bellowed, MINE! I sat bolt upright, shivering in my bed. There was no storm, no monster. Morning sunlight filtered through my bedroom window. I thought I saw a shadow flicker across the glass, a human-like shape. But then there was a knock on my bedroom door. My mom called, Percy, you're going to be late. And the shadow at the window disappeared. It must have been my imagination. A fifth-story window with a rickety old fire escape? There couldn't have been anyone out there. Come on, dear, my mother called again. Last day of school. You should be excited. You've almost made it. Coming, I managed. I felt under my pillow. My fingers closely reassuring my fingers closed reassuringly around the ballpoint pen I always slept with. I brought it out, studied the ancient Greek writing engraved on the side. Anaklusmos, Riptide. I thought about uncapping it, but something held me back. I hadn't used Riptide for so long. Besides, my mom had made me promise not to use deadly weapons in the apartment after I'd swung a javelin the wrong way and taken out her china cabinet. I put anaclusmos on my nightstand and dragged myself out of bed. I got dressed as quickly as I could. I tried not to think about my nightmare or monsters or the shadow at my window. Have to get away. Have to warn them. What had Grover meant? I made, a th- I made a three-finger claw over my heart and pushed outward, an ancient gesture Grover had once taught me for warding off evil. The dream, the, the dream couldn't have been real. Last day of school, my mom was right. I should have been excited. For the first time in my life, I'd almost made it an entire year without getting expelled. No weird accidents. No fights in the classroom, no teachers turning into monsters and trying to kill me with poison cafeteria food or exploding homework. Tomorrow, I'd be on my way to my favorite place in the world, Camp Half-Blood. Only one more day to go. Surely even I couldn't mess that up. As usual, I didn't have a clue how wrong I was. My mom made blue waffles and blue eggs for breakfast. She's funny that way celebrating special occasions with blue food. I think it's her way of saying anything is possible. Percy can pass seventh grade, waffles can be blue, little miracles like that. I ate at the kitchen table while my mom washed dishes. She was dressed in her work uniform, a starry blue skirt and a red and white striped blouse she wore to sell candy at Sweet on America. Her long brown hair was pulled back in a ponytail. The waffles tasted great, but I guess I wasn't digging in like I usually did. My mom looked over and she frowned. Percy, are, are you all right? Yeah, fine. But she could always tell when something was bothering me. She dried her hands and sat down across from me. School or... She didn't need to finish. I knew what she was asking. I think Grover's in trouble, I said, and I told her about my dream. She pursed her lips. We didn't talk much about the other part of my life. We tried to live as normally as possible, but my mom knew all about Grover. Well, I wouldn't be too worried, dear, she said. Grover is a big satyr now. If there were a problem, I'm sure he would have heard, we would have heard from, well, from camp. 
Her shoulders tensed as she said the word camp. What is it? I asked. Oh, nothing, she said. I I'll tell you what. This afternoon, we'll celebrate the end of school. I'll take you and Tyson to Rockefeller Center, to that skateboard shop you like. Oh, man, that was tempting. We were always struggling with money. Between my mom's night classes and my private school tuition, we could never afford to do special stuff like, a sh like shop for a skateboard. But something in her voice bothered me. Wait a minute, I said. I thought we were packing me up for camp tonight. She twisted her dish rag. Uh, dear, uh, about that, I, I got a message from uh, Chiron last night. My heart sank. Chiron was the activities director at Camp Half-Blood. He wouldn't contact us unless something serious was going on. What did he say? He thinks it might not be safe for you to come to camp just yet. We might have to postpone. Postpone? Mom, how could it not be safe? I'm a half-blood. It's like the only safe place on earth for me. Well, usually, dear, <clears throat> but with the problems they're having... What problems? Percy, I'm very, very sorry. I was hoping to talk to you about this afternoon. I can't explain it all now. I'm not even sure Chiron can. Everything happened so suddenly. My mind was reeling. How could I not go to camp? I wanted to ask a million questions, but just then the kitchen clock chimed the half hour. My mom looked almost relieved. <laughs> well, 7.30, dear. You should go. Tyson will be waiting. But, Percy, we'll talk this afternoon, so go on to school. That was the last thing I wanted to do, but my mom had that this fragile look in her eyes, a kind of warning, like if I pushed her too hard, she'd start to cry. Besides, she was right about my friend Tyson. I had to meet him at the subway station on time or he'd get upset. He was scared of traveling underground alone. I gathered up my stuff, but I stopped in the doorway. Mom, this problem at camp, does it... Could it have anything to do with my dream about Grover? She wouldn't meet my eyes. We'll talk this afternoon, dear. I'll explain as much as I can. Reluctantly, I told her goodbye. I jogged downstairs to catch the number two train. I didn't know it at the time, but my mom and I would never get to have our afternoon talk. In fact, I wouldn't be seeing home for a long, long time. As I stepped outside, I glanced at the brownstone building across the street. Just for a second, I saw a dark shape in the morning sunlight, a human silhouette against the brick wall, a shadow that belonged to no one. Then it rippled and vanished. Chapter 2. I Played Dodgeball with Cannibals My day started normal, or as normal as it ever gets at Meriwether College Prep. See, it's this progressive school in downtown Manhattan, which means we sit on beanbag chairs instead of at desks, and we don't get grades, and the teachers wear jeans and rock concert t-shirts to work. That's all cool with me. I mean, I'm ADHD and dyslexic, like most of Half-Bloods, so I'd never done that great in regular schools, even before they kicked me out. The only bad thing about Meriwether was that the teachers always looked on the bright side of things, and the kids weren't always, well, bright. Take my first class today, English. 
the whole middle school had read this book called Lord of the Flies, where all these kids get marooned on an island and go psycho. So for our final exam, our teachers sent us into the breakyard to spend an hour with no adult supervision to see what would happen. Well, what happened was a massive wedgie contest between the 7th and 8th graders, two pebble fights, and a full tackle basketball game. The school bully, Matt Sloan, led most of these activities. Sloan wasn't big or strong, but he acted like he was. He had eyes like a pit bull and shaggy black hair, and he always dressed in expensive but sloppy clothes, like he wanted everybody to see how little he cared about his family's money. One of his front teeth was chipped from the time he'd taken his daddy's Porsche for a joyride and run into a please slow down for children sign. Anyway, Sloan was giving everybody wedgies until he made the mistake of trying it on my friend Tyson. Tyson was the only homeless kid at Meriwether College Prep. As near as my mom and I could figure, he'd been abandoned by his parents when he was very young, probably because he was so different. He was six foot three and built like the abominable snowman, but he cried a lot and was scared of just about everything, including his own reflection. His face was kind of misshapen and brutal looking. I can tell you what color his eyes were because I could never make myself look higher than his crooked teeth. His voice was deep, but he talked funny, like a much younger kid. I guess because he'd never gone to school before coming to Meriwether. He wore tattered jeans, grimy size 20 sneakers, and a plaid flannel, plaid flannel shirt with holes in it. He smelled like a New York City alleyway because that's where he lived in a cardboard refrigerator box off 72nd Street. Meriwether Prep had adopted him as a community service project so all the students could feel good about themselves. Unfortunately, most of them couldn't stand Tyson. Once they discovered he was a big softy, despite his massive strength and scary looks, they made themselves feel good by picking on him. I was pretty much his only friend which meant he was my only friend. My mom had complained to the school a million times that they weren't doing enough to help him. She'd called social services, but nothing ever seemed to happen. The social workers claimed Tyson didn't exist. They swore up and down that they'd visited the alley we described and couldn't find him. Though how you miss a giant kid living in a refrigerator box, I don't know. Anyway, Matt Sloan snuck up behind him and tried to give him a wedgie, and Tyson panicked. He swatted Sloan away a little too hard. Sloan flew 15 feet and got tangled in the little kid's tire swing. You freak, Sloan yelled. Why don't you go back to your cardboard box? Tyson started sobbing. He sat down on the jungle gym so hard he bent the bar and buried his feet in his hands. I'm sorry, buried his head in his hands. Take it back, Sloan, I shouted. Sloan just sneered at me. Why do you even bother, Jackson? You might have friends if you weren't always sticking up for that freak. I balled my fists. I hoped my face wasn't as red as it felt. He's not a freak, he's just... I tried to think of the right thing to say, but Sloan wasn't listening. He and his big, ugly friends were too busy laughing. 
I wondered if it were my imagination or if Sloane had more goons hanging around him than usual. I was used to seeing him with two or three, but today he had like half a dozen or more, and I was pretty sure I'd never seen them before. Just wait till P.E. Jackson, Sloan called. You are so dead. When the first period ended, our English teacher, Mr. De Milo, came outside to inspect the carnage. He pronounced that we'd understood Lord of the Flies perfectly. We all passed his course, and we should never, never grow up to be violent people. Matt Sloan nodded earnestly, then gave me a chip-toothed grin. I had to promise to buy Tyson an extra peanut butter sandwich at lunch to get him to stop sobbing. I I am a freak? He asked me. No, I promised, gritting my teeth. Matt Sloan is the freak. Tyson sniffled. You're a good friend. Miss you next year if, if I can't. His voice trembled. I realized he didn't know if he'd be invited back next year for the community service project. I wondered if the headmaster had been bothered talking to him about it. Don't worry, big guy, I managed. Everything's going to be fine. Tyson gave me such a grateful look, I felt like a big liar. How could I promise a kid like him that anything would be fine? Our next exam was science. Mrs. Tesla told us that we had to mix chemicals until we succeeded in making something explode. Tyson was my lab partner. His hands were way too big for the tiny vials we were supposed to use. He accidentally knocked a tray of chemicals off the counter and made an orange mushroom cloud in the trash can. After Mrs. Tesla evacuated the lab and called the, haz the hazardous waste removal squad, she praised Tyson and me for being natural chemists. We were the first ones who'd ever aced her exam in under 30 seconds. I was glad the morning went fast because it kept me from thinking too much about my problems. I couldn't stand the idea that something might be wrong at camp. Even worse, I couldn't shake the memory of my bad dream. I had a terrible feeling that Grover was endangered. <clears throat> in social studies, while we were drawing latitude-longitude maps, I opened my notebook and stared at the photo inside, my friend Annabeth on vacation in Washington, D.C. She was wearing jeans and a denim jacket over her orange Camp Half-Blood t-shirt. Her blonde hair was pulled back in a bandana. She was standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial with her arms crossed, looking extremely pleased with herself, like she'd personally designed the place. See, Annabeth wants to be an architect when she grows up, so she's always visiting famous monuments and stuff. She's weird that way. She'd emailed me the picture after spring break, and every once in a while, I'd look at it just to remind myself she was real and Camp Half-Blood hadn't just been my imagination. I wish Annabeth were here. She'd know what to make of my dream. I'd never admit it to her, but she was smarter than me, even if she was annoying sometimes. I was about to close my notebook when Matt Sloan reached over and ripped the photo out of the rings. Hey, I protested. Sloan checked out the picture and his eyes got wide. No way, Jackson, who is that? She's not your... Give it back. My ears felt hot. Sloan handed the photo to his ugly buddies, who snickered and started ripping it up to make spit wads. 
They were new kids who must have been visiting because they were all wearing the stupid hi, my name is tags from the administration office. They must have had a weird sense of humor too because they had all filled in strange names like Marrow Sucker, Skull Eater, Joe Bob. No human beings had names like that. These guys are moving here next year, Sloan bragged, like that was supposed to scare me. I bet they can pay the tuition too, unlike your retard friend. He's not retarded. I had to try really, really hard not to punch Sloan in the face. You're such a loser, Jackson. Good thing I'm going to put you out of your misery next period. His huge buddies chewed up my photo. I wanted to pulverize them, but I was under strict orders from Chiron never to take my anger out on regular mortals. No matter how obnoxious they were, I had to save my fighting for monsters. Still, part of me thought if Sloan only knew who I really was, the bell rang. As Tyson and I were leaving class, a girl's voice whispered, Percy. I looked around the locker, the locker area, but nobody was paying me any attention, like any girl at Meriwether would ever be caught dead calling my name. Before I had time to consider whether or not I'd been imagining things, a crowd of kids rushed for the gym, carrying Tyson and me along with them. It was time for P.E. Our coach had promised us a free-for-all dodgeball game, and Matt Sloan had promised to kill me. The gym uniform at Meriwether is sky blue shorts and tie-dye t-shirts. Fortunately, we did most of our athletic stuff inside, so we didn't have to jog through Tribeca looking like a bunch of boot camp hippie children. I changed as quickly as I could in the locker room because I didn't want to deal with Sloan. I was about to leave when Tyson called, Percy! He hadn't changed yet. He was standing by the weight room door, clutching his gym clothes. Will you... Uh, oh yeah, I tried not to sound aggravated about it. Yeah, sure, man. Tyson ducked inside the weight room. I stood guard outside the door while he changed. I felt kind of awkward doing this, but he asked me to do most days. I think it's because he's completely hairy and he's got weird scars on his back that I've never had the courage to ask him about. Anyway, I learned the hard way that if people teased Tyson while he was dressing out, He'd get upset and start ripping the doors off lockers. When we got to the gym, Coach Nunley was sitting at his little desk reading Sports Illustrated. Nunley was about a million years old, with bifocals and no teeth and a greasy wave of gray hair. He reminded me of Oracle at Camp Half-Blood, which was a shriveled up mummy. Except Coach Nunley moved a lot less and he never billowed green smoke. Well, at least not that I'd observed. Matt Sloan said, Coach, can I be captain? Eh? Coach Nunley looked up from his magazine. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Sloan grinned and took charge of the picking. He made me the other team's captain. But it didn't matter who I picked because all the jocks and all the popular kids moved over to Sloan's side. So did the big group of visitors. On my side, I had Tyson, Corey Bader the computer geek, Raj Mandali, the calculus whiz, and half a dozen other kids who always got harassed by Sloan and his gang. Normally, I would have been okay with just Tyson. He was worth half a team all by myself, all by himself. 
but the visitors on Sloan's team were almost as tall and strong-looking as Tyson, and there were six of them. Matt Sloan spilled a cage full of balls in the middle of the gym. Scared? Tyson mumbled. Smell funny. I looked at him. What smells funny? Because I didn't figure he was talking about himself. Them. Tyson pointed at Sloan's new friends. They, they smell funny. The visitors were cracking their knuckles, eyeing us like it was a slaughter time. I couldn't help wondering where they were from. Some place where they fed kids raw meat and beat them with sticks. Sloan blew the coach's whistle and the game began. Sloan's team ran for the center line. On my side, Raj Mandali yelled something in Urdu, probably, I have to go potty, and ran for the exit. Corey Baylor tried to crawl behind the wall mat and hide. The rest of my team did their best to cower in fear and not look like targets. Tyson, I said, let's get a ball slammed into my gut. I sat down hard in the middle of the gym floor. The other team exploded in laughter. My eyesight was fuzzy. I felt like I had just gotten the Heimlich maneuver from a gorilla. I couldn't believe anybody could throw that hard. Tyson yelled, Percy, duck! I rolled as another dodgeball whistled past my ear at the speed of sound. Foom! It hit the wall mat and Corey Baylor yelped. Hey, I yelled at Sloan's team, you could kill somebody. Well, the visitor named Joe Bob grinned at me evilly. Somehow he looked a lot bigger now, even taller than Tyson. His biceps bulged beneath his t-shirt. Well, I hope so, Perseus Jackson. I hope so. The way he said my name sent a chill down my back. Nobody called me Perseus, except those who knew my true identity, friends and enemies. What had Tyson said? They smell funny. Monsters. All around Matt Sloan, the visitors were growing in size. They were no longer kids. They were eight-foot-tall giants with wild eyes, pointy teeth, and hairy arms tattooed with snakes and hula women and valentine hearts. Matt Sloan dropped his ball. Whoa, you're not from Detroit. Who the... The other kids on his team started screaming and backing toward the exit, but the giant named Merrill Sucker threw a ball with deadly accuracy. It streaked past Raj Mandali just as he was about to leave and hit the door, slamming it shut like magic. Raj and some of the other kids banged on it desperately, but it wouldn't budge. Let them go, I yelled at the giants. The one called Joe Bob growled at me. He had a tattoo on his biceps that said, JB loves baby cakes. And, and lose our tasty morsels? No, son of the sea god. We Lastragonians aren't just playing for your death. We want lunch. He waved his hand and a new batch of dodgeballs appeared on the center line. But these balls weren't made of red rubber. They were bronze, the size of cannonballs, perforated like wiffle balls with fire bubbling out the holes. They must have been searing hot, but the giants picked them up with their bare hands. Coach, I yelled. Nunley looked up sleepily, but if he saw anything abnormal about the dodgeball game, he didn't let on. That's the problem with mortals. 
A magical force called the mist obscures the true appearance of monsters and gods from their vision, so mortals tend to see only what they can understand. Maybe the coach saw a few 8th graders pounding the younger kids like usual. Maybe the other kids saw Matt Sloan's thugs getting ready to toss Molotov cocktails around. It, it, it wouldn't have been the first time. At any rate, I was pretty sure nobody else realized we were dealing with genuine, man-eating, bloodthirsty monsters. Yeah, mm-hmm, Coach muttered. Play nice. And he went back to his magazine. The giant named Skull Eater threw his ball. I dove aside it as the fiery bronze comet sailed past my shoulder. Corey, I screamed. Tyson pulled him out from behind the exercise mat just as the ball exploded against it, blasting the mat to smoking shreds. Run, I told my teammates. The other exit. They ran for the locker room door, but with another wave of Joe Bob's hands, the door also that door also slammed shut. No one leaves unless you're out, Joe Bob roared, and you're not out until we eat you. He launched his own fireball. My teammates scattered as if as it blasted a crater in the gym floor. I reached for Riptide, which I always kept in my pocket, but then I realized I was wearing gym shorts. I had no pockets. Riptide was tucked in my jeans inside my gym locker and the locker room door was sealed. I was completely defenseless. Another fireball came streaking toward me. Tyson pushed me out of the way, but the explosion still blew me head over heels. I found myself sprawled on the gym floor, dazed from smoke, and my tie-dye t-shirt peppered with sizzling holes just across the center line. Two hungry giants were glaring down at me. Flesh, they bellowed. Hero flesh for lunch. They both took aim. Percy needs help, Tyson yelled, and he jumped in front of me just as they threw their balls. Tyson, I screamed, but it was too late. Both balls slammed into him, but no, he caught them. Somehow Tyson, who was so clumsy he knocked over lab equipment and broke playground structures on a regular basis, he had caught two fiery metal balls speeding toward him at a zillion miles an hour. He sent them hurling back toward their surprised owners who screamed, Bad! as the bronze spheres exploded against their chests. The giants disintegrated in twin columns of flame, a sure sign they were monsters, all right. But monsters don't die. They just dissipate into smoke and dust, which saves heroes a lot of trouble cleaning up after a fight. My brothers, Joe Bob the cannibal yelled, wailed. He flexed his muscles with his baby cakes tattoo rippled. You will pay for their destruction. Tyson, I said, look out. Another comet hurtled towards us. Tyson just had time to swat it aside. It flew straight over Coach Noonley's head and landed in the bleachers with a huge kaboom. Kids were running around, screaming, trying to avoid the sizzling, the sizzling craters in the floor. Others were banging on the door, calling for help. Sloan himself stood petrified in the middle of the court, watching in disbelief as balls of death flew around him. Coach Nunley still wasn't seeing anything. He tapped his hearing aid like the explosions were giving him interference, but he kept his eyes on his magazine.
Surely the whole school could hear the noise. The headmaster, the police, somebody would come help us. Victory will be ours, roared Joe Bob the cannibal. We will feast on your bones. I wanted to tell him he was taking the dodgeball game way too seriously. But before I could, he hefted another ball. The other three giants followed his lead. I knew we were dead. Tyson couldn't deflect all those balls at once. His hands had to be seriously burned from blocking his first volley. Without my sword, I had a crazy idea. I ran toward the locker door. Move, I told my teammates. Away from the door. Explosions behind me. Tyson had batted two of the balls back toward their owners and blasted them to ashes. That left just two giants still standing. A third ball hurtled straight at me. I forced myself to wait. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, then dove aside as the fiery sphere demolished the locker room door. Now I figured that the built-up gas in the boy in the most boys' locker rooms was enough to cause an explosion, so I wasn't surprised when the flaming dodgeball ignited a huge whoom. The wall blew apart. Locker doors Socks, athletic supporters, and other various nasty personal belongings rained all over the gym. I turned just in time to see Tyson punch Skull Eater in the face. The giant crumpled, but the last giant, Joe Bob, had wisely held on to his own ball, waiting for an opportunity. He threw just as Tyson was turning to face him. No, I yelled. The ball caught Tyson square in the chest. He slid the length of the court and slammed into the back wall, which cracked and partially crumbled on top of him, making a hole right onto Church Street. I didn't see how Tyson could still be alive, but he only looked dazed. The bronze ball was smoking at his feet. Tyson tried to pick it up, but he fell back, stunned into a pile of cinder blocks. Well, Joe Bob gloated, I'm the last one standing. I'll have enough meat to bring baby cakes a doggy bag. He picked up another ball and aimed it at Tyson. Stop, I yelled. It's me you want. The giant grinned. You wish to die first, young hero? I had to do something. Riptide had to be around here somewhere. Then I spotted my jeans in a smoking heap of clothes right by the giant's feet. If I could only get there, I knew it was hopeless, but I charged. The giant laughed. My lunch approaches. He raised his arm to throw. I braced myself to die. Suddenly, the giant's body went rigid. His expression changed from gloating to surprise. Right where his belly button should have been, his t-shirt ripped open and he grew something like a horn. No, not a horn. A glow the glowing tip of a blade. The ball dropped out of his hand. The monster stared down at the knife that had just run him through from behind. He muttered, Ow! and burst into a cloud of green flame, which I figured was going to make baby cakes pretty upset. Standing in the smoke was my friend Annabeth. Her face was grimy and scratched. She had a ragged backpack slung over her shoulder, her baseball cap tucked in her pocket, a bronze knife in her hand, and a wild look in her stormy, storm-gray eyes, like she'd just been chased a thousand miles by ghosts. Matt Sloan, 
who'd been standing there dumbfounded the whole time, finally came to his senses. He blinked at Annabeth as if he dimly recognized her from my notebook picture. Hey, that that's the girl. That's the girl. Annabeth punched him in the nose and knocked him flat. And you, she told him, lay off my friend. The gym was in flames. Kids were still running around screaming. I heard sirens wailing in a garbled voice over the intercom. Through the glass windows of the exit doors, I could see the headmaster, Mr. Bonsai, wrestling with the lock. A crowd of teachers piled up behind him. Annabeth, I stammered. How, how did you, how, how long have you? Pretty much all morning. She sheathed, she, she, she sheathed her bronze knife. I've been trying to find a good time to talk to you, but you were never alone. The shadow I saw this morning, that was, my face felt hot. Oh my gods, you were looking in my bedroom window? There's no time to explain, she snapped, though she looked a little bit red-faced herself. I just didn't want to. There, a woman screamed. The doors burst open and the adults came pouring in. Meet me outside, Annabeth told me, and him. She pointed to Tyson, who was still sitting dazed against the wall. Annabeth gave him a look of distaste that I didn't quite understand. You'd better bring him. What? No time, she said. Hurry. She put on her Yankee baseball cap, which was a magic gift from her mom, and instantly vanished. That left me standing alone in the middle of the burning gymnasium when the headmaster came charging in with half the faculty and a couple of police officers. Percy Jackson, Mr. Bonsai said, what, how? Over by the broken wall, Tyson groaned and stood up from a pile of cinder blocks. Head hurts. Matt Sloan was coming around too. He focused on me with a look of terror. Percy did it, Mr. Bonsai. He set the whole building on fire. Coach Nunley will, Coach Nunley will tell you he saw it all. Well, Coach Nunley had been dutifully reading his magazine, but just my luck, he chose that moment to look up when Sloan said his name. Eh, yeah, mm-hmm, sure. The other adults turned toward me. I knew they would never believe me, even if I could tell them the truth. I grabbed Riptide out of my Bruin jeans, told Tyson, come on, and jumped through the gaping hole in the side of the building. Chapter 3. We Hail the Taxi of Eternal Torment Annabeth was waiting for us in an alley down Church Street. She pulled Tyson and me off the sidewalk just as a fire truck screamed past, heading for Merriweather Prep. Where did you find him? she demanded, pointing at Tyson. Now, under different circumstances, I would have been really happy to see her. We'd made our peace last summer despite the fact that her mom was Athena and didn't get along with my dad. I'd missed Annabeth probably more than I wanted to admit, but I had just been attacked by a cannibal giant. Tyson had saved my life three or four times, and all Annabeth could do was glare at him like he was the problem. He's my friend, I told her. Is he homeless? What does that have to do with anything? He can hear you, you know. Why don't you ask him? She looked surprised. He can talk? I talk, Tyson admitted. You are pretty. Ah, gross, Annabeth stepped away from him. I couldn't believe she was being so rude. 
I examined Tyson's hands, which I was sure must have been badly scorched from the flaming dodgeballs, but they looked fine. Grimy and scarred, with dirty fingernails the size of potato chips, but they always looked like that. Tyson, I said in disbelief, your hands aren't even burned. Well, of course not, Annabeth muttered. I'm surprised the Lastagonians had the guts to attack you with them around. Tyson seemed fascinated by Annabeth's blonde hair. He tried to touch it, but she smacked his hand away. Annabeth, I said, what are you talking about? Lastra, what? Lastragonians, the monsters in the gym. They're a race of giant cannibals who live in the, in the far north. Odysseus ran into them once, but I'd never seen them as far south as New York before. Lastra, I can't even say that. What would you call them in English? She thought about it for a moment. Canadians, she decided. Now come on, we have to get out of here. The, the police will be after me. That's the least of your problems, she said. Have you been having uh, the dreams? The dreams about Grover? Her face turned pale. Grover? No, what about Grover? I told her my dream. Why, what were you dreaming about? Why, what were you dreaming about? Her eyes looked stormy, like her mind was racing a million miles an hour. Camp, she said at last. Big trouble at camp. Yeah, my mom was saying the same thing, but what kind of trouble? I don't know exactly. Something's wrong. We have to get there right away. Monsters have been chasing me all the way from Virginia, trying to stop me. Have you had a lot of attacks? I shook my head. Not all year. Until today, none? But how? Her eye drifted to Tyson. Oh, what do you mean, oh? Tyson raised his hand like he was still in class. Canadians in the gym called Percy something, son of the sea god. Annabeth and I exchanged looks. I didn't know how I could explain, but I figured Tyson deserved the truth after almost getting killed. Big guy, I said. You ever hear those old stories about the Greek gods, you know, like Zeus or Poseidon, Athena? Yes, Tyson said. Well, those gods are still alive. They kind of follow Western civilization around, living in the strongest countries. So, like, now they're in the U.S. And sometimes they have kids with mortals, kids called half-bloods. Yes, Tyson said, like he was still waiting for me to get to the point. Uh, well, Annabeth and I are half-bloods, I said. We're like heroes in training, and whenever monsters pick up our scent, they attack us. That's what those giants were in the gym. They were monsters. Yes. I stared at him. He didn't seem surprised or confused by what I was telling him, which surprised and confused me. So, you believe me? Tyson nodded. But you are son of the sea god? Yeah, I admitted. My dad is Poseidon. Tyson frowned. Now he looked confused. But then, a siren wailed. A police car raced past our alley. We don't have time for this, Annabeth said. We'll, take, we'll talk in the taxi. A taxi all the way to camp, I said. You know how much money? Trust me. I hesitated. Well, what about Tyson? 
I imagine escorting my friend into Camp Half-Blood. If he freaked out on a regular playground with regular bullies, how would he act at a training camp full of demigods? On the other hand, the cops would be looking for us. Well, we can't just leave him, I decided. He'll be in trouble too. Yeah, Annabeth looked grim. We definitely need to take him. Now come on. I didn't like the way she said that, as if Tyson were a big disease we need to get to the hospital, but I followed her down the alley. Together the three of us sneaked through the side streets of downtown while a huge column of smoke billowed up behind us from my old school gymnasium. Here, Annabeth stopped us on the corner of Thomas and Trimble. She finished she fished around in her backpack. I hope I have one left. She looked even worse than I realized at first. Her chin was cut. Twigs and grass were tangled in her ponytail as if she, as if she slept several nights in the open. The slashes on the hems of her jeans looked suspiciously like claw marks. What are you looking for? I asked. All around us, sirens wailed. I figured it wouldn't be long before more cops cruised by looking for juvenile delinquent gym bombers. No doubt Matt Sloan had given them a statement by now. He probably twisted the story around so that Tyson and I were the bloodthirsty cannibals. Found one. Thank the gods. Annabeth pulled out a gold coin that I recognized as a drachma, the currency of Mount Olympus. It, it had Zeus's likeness stamped on one side and the Empire State Building on the other. Annabeth, I said, New York taxi drivers won't take that. Shli shli, she shouted in ancient Greek, or harma de bullis. As usual, the moment she spoke in the language of Olympus, I somehow understood it. She said, stop, chariot of damnation. Well, that didn't exactly make me feel real excited about whatever she, her plan was. She threw her coin into the street, but instead of clattering on the asphalt, the drachma sank right through and disappeared. For a moment, nothing happened. Then, just where the coin had fallen, the asphalt darkened. It melted into a regular pool about the size of a parking space, bubbling red liquid like blood. Then a car erupted from the ooze. It was a taxi, all right. But unlike every other taxi in New York, it wasn't yellow. It was smoky gray. I meant I mean it looked like it was woven out of smoke, like you could walk right through it. There were words printed on the door, something like Gaiar Cyrus, but my dyslexia made it hard for me to decipher what it said. The passenger windows rolled down and an old woman stuck her head out. She had a mop of grizzled hair covering her eyes, and she spoke in a weird mumbling way, like she just had a shot of Novocaine. Passage? Passage? Three to camp half-blood, Annabeth said. She opened the cab's back door and waved at me to get in, like this was all completely normal. Ah, the old woman screeched. We don't take his kind. She pointed a bony finger at Tyson. What was it? Pick on big and ugly kids day? Extra pay. I'm sorry, extra pay, Annabeth promised. Three more drachma on arrival. Done, the woman screamed. Reluctantly, I got in the cab. Tyson squeezed in the middle. Annabeth crawled in last. The interior was also smoky gray, but it felt solid enough. 
The seat was cracked and lumpy, no different than most taxis. There was no plexiglass screen separating us from the old lady driving. Wait a minute. There wasn't just one old lady. There were three, all crammed in the front seat, each with stringy, stringy hair covering her eyes, bony hands, and charcoal-colored sackcloth dress. The one driving said, Long Island, Alta Metro Fair, bonus, ha! She, flooded the acceler- she floored the accelerator, and my head slammed against the backrest. A pre-recorded voice came over the speaker. Hi, this is Ganymede, cupbearer to Zeus, and when I'm out buying wine for the Lord of the Skies, I always buckle up. I looked down and found a large black chain instead of a seatbelt. I decided I wasn't that desperate. Yet. The cab sped around the corner of West Broadway, and the gray lady sitting in the middle screeched, Look out! Go left! Well, if you'd give me the eye, Tempest, I could see that, the driver complained. Wait a minute. Give her the eye? I didn't have time to ask questions because the driver swerved to avoid another upcoming delivery truck, ran over the curb with a jaw-rattling thump, and flew into the next block. Wasp! The lady third lady said to the driver, Give me the girl's coin. I want to bite it. You bit it last time, Anger, said the driver, whose name must have been Wasp. It's my turn. It's not, yelled the one called Anger. The middle one, Tempest, screamed, Red light! Break! yelled Anger. Instead, Wasp floored the accelerator and rolled up on the curb, screeching around another corner and knocking over a newspaper box. She left my stomach somewhere back on Broom Street. Excuse me, I said, but can you see? No, screamed Wasp from behind the wheel. No, screamed Tempest from the middle. Of course, screamed Anger by the shotgun window. I looked at Annabeth. They're blind? Well, not completely, Annabeth said. They have an eye. One eye? Yeah. Each? No, just one in total. Next to me, Tyson groaned and grabbed the seat. Not feeling so good. Oh, man, I said, because I seen Tyson get carsick on school field trips, and it was not something you wanted to be within 50 feet of. Hang in there, big guy. Anybody got a garbage bag or something? The three gray ladies were too busy squabbling to pay me any attention. I looked over at Annabeth, who was hanging on for her dear life, and I gave her a why did you do this to me look? Hey, she said, Gray Sister's taxi is the fastest way to camp. Then why didn't you take it from Virginia? Well, that's outside their service area, she said, like that should be obvious. They only serve greater New York and surrounding communities. We've had famous people in this cab, Anger explained. Jason, you remember him? Don't remind me, Wasp wailed. And we didn't have a cab back then, you old bat. That was 3,000 years ago. Give me the tooth, Anger tried to grab at Wasp's mouth, but Wasp swatted her hand away. Only if Tempest give me the eye. No, Tempest screeched. You had yesterday. But I'm driving, you old hag. Excuses. Turn. That was your turn. Wasp swerved hard onto Delancey Street, squishing me between Tyson and the door. She punched the gas and we shot up the Williamsburg Bridge at 70 miles an hour. 
The three sisters were fighting for real now, slapping each other as anger as anger tried to grab at Wasp's face and Wasp tried to grab at Tempest's. With their hair flying and their mouths open, screaming at each other, I realized that none of the sisters had any teeth except for Wasp, who had one mossy yellow incisor. Instead of eyes, they just had closed sunken eyelids, except for Anger, who had one bloodshot green eye that stared at everything hungrily, as if it couldn't get enough of anything it saw. Finally, Anger, who had the advantage of sight, managed to yank the tooth out of her sister Wasp's mouth. This made Wasp so mad, she swerved toward the edge of the Williamsburg Bridge, yelling, Give it back! Give it back! Tyson groaned and clutched his stomach. Uh, if anybody's interested, I said, we're going to die. Don't worry, Annabeth told me, sounding pretty worried. The Grey Sisters, they know what they're doing. They're really very wise. This coming from the daughter of Athena, but I wasn't exactly reassured. We were skimming along the edge of a bridge a hundred and thirty feet above the East River. Yes, wise, Anger grinned in the rearview mirror, showing off her newly acquired tooth. We know things. Every street in Manhattan, Wasp bragged, still hitting her sister, the capital of Nepal. The location you seek, Tempest added. Immediately, her sisters pummeled her from either side, screaming, Be quiet, be quiet. He didn't even ask yet. What? I said. What location? I'm not seeking any. Oh, nothing, Tempest said. You were right, boy. It's nothing. Tell me. No, they all screamed. The last time we told it, it was horrible, Tempest said. I tossed in a lake, Anger agreed. Years to find it again, Wasp moaned. And speaking of that, give it back. No, yelled Anger. I, Wasp yelled, give me. She whacked her sister Anger on the back. There was a sickening pop and something flew out of Anger's face. Anger fumbled for it, trying to catch it, but she only managed to, to bat it with the back of her hand. The slimy green orb sailed over her shoulder into the back seat and straight into my lap. I jumped so hard, my head hit the ceiling and the eyeball rolled away. I can't see, all three sisters yelled. Give me the eye, Wasp yelled. Give her the eye, Annabeth screamed. I don't have it, I said. There, by your foot, Annabeth said. Don't step on it, get it. I'm not picking that up. The taxi slammed against the guardrail and skidded along with a horrible grinding noise. The whole car shuddered, billowed a gray smoke as if it were about to dissolve from the strain. Going to be sick, Tyson warned. Annabeth, I yelled, let Tyson use your backpack. Are you crazy? Get the eye. Wasp yanked the wheel and the taxi swerved away from the rail. We hurtled down the bridge toward Brooklyn, going faster than any human taxi. The Grey Sisters screeched and pummeled each other and cried out for their eye. At last, I steeled my nerves. I ripped off a chunk of my tie-dye t-shirt, which was already falling apart from all the burn marks, and used it to pick the eye up off the floor. Nice boy, Anger cried, as if she somehow knew I had her missing peeper. Give it back. Not until you explain, I told her. What were you talking about, the location I seek? No time, Tempest cried. Accelerating. 
I looked out the window. Sure enough, trees and cars and whole neighborhoods were now zipping by in a gray blur. We were already out of Brooklyn, heading through the middle of Long Island. Percy, Annabeth warned, they can't find our destination without the eye. We'll just keep accelerating, accelerating until we break into a million pieces. Well, first they had to tell me, I said, or I'll open the window and throw this eye out into oncoming traffic. No, the gray sisters wailed, too dangerous. I'm rolling down the window. Wait, the gray sisters screamed, 30, 3i, 75i2. They belted it out like a quarterback calling a play. What do you mean? I said. That makes no sense. 33I 75I2, anger wailed. That's all we can tell you. Now give us the eye, almost to camp. We were off the highway now, zipping through the countryside of northern Long Island. I could see Half Blood Hill ahead of us with this giant pine tree at the crest. Thalia's tree, Thalia's tree, which contained the life force of a fallen hero. Percy, Annabelle said more urgently, give them the eye now. I decided not to argue. I threw the eye into Wasp's lap. The old lady snatched it up, pushed it into her eye socket like somebody putting in a contact lens and blinked. Whoa! She slammed on the brakes. The taxi spun four or five times in a cloud of smoke and squealed to a halt in the middle of the farm road at the base of Half-Blood Hill. Tyson let loose a huge belt. Better now. All right, I told the Gray sisters. Now tell me what those numbers mean. No time, Annabeth opened the door. We have to get out now. I was about to ask why when I looked up at Half-Blood Hill and understood. At the crest of the hill was a group of campers, and they were under attack. That's the end of chapter three.